we pray for um, just healing there. And with that, we also live, live Hunter up to you and just help him uh, heal. And, and uh, Father, uh, graduation yesterday and, and next week, uh, we just lift the graduates up to you. And as the uncertainty of, of life and change, and um, we just uh, lift, lift all these graduates up to you. Uh, Father, we know without you, we would not have Mother's Day. We lift these mothers up to you. Um, they're special. Um, there's so many things that we could say, and uh, all the all the I guess everything they do for for their kids and for their family is awesome, Lord. Um, again, we we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Psalm 27 with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though a war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, all of the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of the Lord, he will keep me safe in the dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At a sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thank you to Bryson. Bryson's the uh, Berean Church valedictorian this year, which is not really a thing. You know, that's... Uh, you know, don't get a big head, Bryson, being the, you know, anybody who's the smartest one in this bunch is like being the smartest guy at a NASCAR rally or something like that, you know, like I won at Talladega, you know, you, you won at Talladega to the spelling contest at Talladega, I won. The first word was Talladega and everybody got out, but me, I was, but uh, uh, graduates, glad that you are here. Um, I know... I tried to put all your names, Jerry and I tried to put all your names on the sign out there and they wouldn't fit. There's not nearly enough A's in our stock to get all your names on the sign. So Amanda took up th- three A's all by herself, which was pretty selfish if you ask me, Amanda. But, <laughs> but we're just going to have to go with congratulations, graduates, on the sign. Um, I know that you guys have heard a lot in the last 24 hours 
about your future. You've answered the question, what are you going to do next, about a million times. You've been congratulated and, and honored, and you've read a, a thousand cards that have that kind of stuff in it. And actually, we know you don't really read the cards. You just open it up to see if there's money in there. We know. But you have been, you've heard this stuff. But this morning, you're going to hear it again. I want, I want to share with you from that psalm that, that Bryson just read, Psalm 27. I want to share with you a message about having a life that I would love for each of you to have, a life of confidence, a life that sort of, I don't know how else to say it, but sort of feels successful, solid, whole, a, a life where you're not weighed down by fear and anxiety, where you're not constantly afraid of not measuring up and everything's going to fall apart. And Because in this Psalm 27 that Bryson read, this is David's, it's where David writes his secret to having an unshakable victorious, fearless life. And this won't be a, a self-help sermon or a, or a self-esteem sermon, but I think applying this scripture to your life will help, and it can make all the difference in how you feel, but it's certainly more, more than that. So think of this as sort of my graduation card to you only it's way longer and it doesn't have any money in it. But I, it really does outline a desire that I have uh, for you. And if anyone else is here today and they didn't happen to graduate and you would like to know how to have a life with less anxiety and less fear, that feels a little more solid and a little more whole than maybe you can pay attention to. We're going to start in the first three verses of Psalm chapter 27, where David really clearly says, basically, I ain't scared, and I'll tell you why. He says in the first three verses, I have something with God that allows me to not have fear. He calls, he calls the Lord my light and my salvation. He's my protection. He's my defense. And because I have him, I'm not scared of anyone or anything. That God is David's light doesn't mean that God is his energy force or that he's even seen that. David, don't think of, uh, while we go through Psalm 27, don't think of David as king. Think of David younger than that. By this point in David's life, he's had two jobs that have shaped his life. What were David's jobs? He was a shepherd and he was a warrior. And so David knew a thing or two about being in the blackness of night and therefore being really scared of something out there that I can't see. Something that might want to eat these animals. Someone that might want to attack me and my men. 
And when David says, God is my light and my salvation, here's what he means. God is that thing that exposes the scary things out there in the dark and shows me what they really are. And then that that he's David's salvation in this context is not, he's my eternal salvation. He shows me what I was scared of. He exposes it for what it is and lets me know I'm safe from it. And because I have a God like that, I don't have to be scared. He shows me what I was afraid of and convinces me in my heart I don't have to be scared of that. Now, who would like to have that and know that? Who would like to have a heart that's not scared and anxious about what might be out there, what's around the corner, how it's all going to fall apart, how nothing's going to work out, how this isn't going to last, or it's never going to get better? That's what David says he has. And David doesn't have this confident, fearless heart because he's not in scary situations. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, And there's evil men who attack me, trying to destroy me. I'm not scared then. He says in verse 3, if there's an army, your Bible might call it a host. It's the Hebrew word for army. When there's an army encamped against me, and I can tell war is imminent, I am going to have to fight in a war. He said, I'm still not scared. I'm confident. And when David wrote this, think about what warfare was like. He wasn't going to launch a couple of cruise missiles from a thousand miles away, right? He wasn't piloting an unmanned drone. Warfare was a two mob of mobs of men with swords trying to hack the other guy up before he hacked you up, right? He could face that. He had something from God that allowed him to face that with confidence and with a lack of fear. Now, how did he get there? How does he have that? He tells us in verse 4, it's the key to understanding this psalm. If you're a Bible underliner, underline this, baby, because this is the most important verse in this psalm. It controls the rest of it. I would summarize the whole concept this way. David remains confidently fearless during duress because he has his desires fixed on something he cannot lose. David remains confidently fearless during duress because his desire is fixed on something he cannot lose. He writes it this way. One thing I ask from the Lord. This is the only thing that I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze at or look upon or behold his beauty and seek him or meditate on him or or inquire him in his temple. So David, in this, the key verse to this poem, this passage, he begins with these two words. One thing. I only seek one thing. I only desire one thing. My life has one thing that controls it. Now, this is a poem. <laughs> and when we read a poem, even if it's in the Bible, I think especially if it's in the Bible, We have to understand, a poem has a real literal point, but it uses figurative language to communicate that point. 
So when David says, I only want one thing in my life, that doesn't mean he never has anything else. Whatever this thing is that he wants, that's his one thing, it doesn't mean he never wants anything else. Like he never wants a drink. He never wants something to eat. He never wants his team to win. He never wants uh, to, to have, he never wants the mutton and wool prices to go up. You know, he, it doesn't mean that. He has other desires, other wants. But in this poetic way of, of writing, he says, I have one thing that so outpaces and outstrips all my other wants. It's like those don't even exist. This one thing that I want, that's the secret to my life of confidence, it's, it's the number one thing. It controls all of my other wants and desires. And that thing, wanting that thing, is what gives him confidence and fearlessness. Now, what is it? What does he want? David tells us he only wants one thing, and then he lists three things, right? He says, I only want one thing, and that thing is dwell in the house of the Lord, gaze on his beauty, and seek him in his temple. Those three things together is David's way to describe his one thing that he desires. I I want you to be able to relax, so I want to tell you what this doesn't mean. David is not saying, my one thing that keeps me from being afraid is I want to live in church every single day. Like, I want to go to church every day, 24-7. That's how I won't be scared anymore, right? I think somebody, I heard somebody just throw up in their mouth just a little bit at that thought of being in church every single day. It's not what, it's not what David means. And we know this isn't, we can, we can know that this is not what David means for a couple of reasons. First, he talks about all kinds of other things in this psalm that he's doing that's not in church, that he has that confidence. He has confidence when he's out in battle, when people are lying about him, and other things we'll talk about in a minute. So it's, he doesn't hide in church in order to keep his heart from feeling fear. We can also know that that's not literally what he means because of what the church, what, in his day there wasn't a temple yet. It was called the tabernacle. It was like a mobile temple. And David couldn't live in the house of the Lord, even one day in his life. Because David was a Jew. It means he's from the house of Judah. And the house of the Lord inside the tabernacle was a place he couldn't go in. So he's, he doesn't mean my one thing is I just want to be in that building all day, every day, and then I won't be scared anymore. Second thing he says that's part of his one thing, he said, I want to see your beauty. David does not mean, God, if you would just, and some of us have done this, if you would just show up and show me something miraculous, I would know I'm believing the right thing, and maybe I wouldn't be scared. If you would just give me some sort of vision. That's not what David means, because David already has this confidence, and we have no evidence from the scriptures that David had any sort of visitation like that. Here's what David means. That is a three-pronged attempt to describe a, a close, unbroken relationship with God. Here's the one thing I want. He says, God, I want to I know you so well, it's like I live with you. It's like we live in the same house and we look at each other face to face. I can see your beauty. I inquire 
about you or I seek you means we talk through things. David said, here's my one thing. I want to know God so well, it's like we're roommates. I want to know him that well. You see, David, David didn't just want what God could do for him. He wanted God. David didn't just want to see evidence that God exists. He wanted to know the God who exists. Do you know how big of a difference there is between wanting what God can do for you and actually wanting God? It's a really big difference. I I tried to think of an illustration uh, to illustrate the difference between wanting what someone can do for you and actually wanting that person. And I was thinking of our graduates, and they couldn't be here today, but I thought of the Binge family. And for those of you who don't know David, Billy Joe, Binge, David is the shop foreman out at Country Ford. Billy Joe is his wife. The difference between like wanting just what God can do for you and wanting God is the difference between most people's relationship in Chase County, most of their relationship with David Binge and Billy Joe's relationship with David Binge. Here's what I mean. Most of us, most people in Chase County don't spend lots of time talking to and thinking about David Binge and the heaven that is Country Ford, Right? Um, most people. When do they think about David? When they have a problem they want him to fix. As long as life is going well, they don't think about David Ben. Sure, he's out there. I know he's there. I believe in him. But I don't feel like I need him until something goes wrong. And then we take our cars to David. And if he fixes our problem the way that we want at an agreeable price, we are pleased with him. If he doesn't, we go someplace else and we talk about it, but we turn our back on him, right? And and the evidence that he exists is just when he fixes my problem the way I want it fixed. Billy Joe doesn't want a relationship like that with David Bench. She lives with him. They they talk about things together. They see each other face to face. They walk through good times and bad times together. See, David in this psalm, this David, not David Binge anymore. We're done with him. David said, "I, I don't just want what God can do for me. That's not my one thing. I want him. I want to do life with him. I want to know him. Now the Bible makes clear we can know God. It tells us how. Because we're 3,000 years later than David, we have more information. We know now the way to know God is to know his son, Jesus. Paul told us in Colossians that somehow God the Father got the fullness of God, everything there is about God, into Jesus. So if you want to know God, you go to Jesus. You want to know how God reacts to sin? Read the Gospels and look at Jesus. You want to know how much God loves unlovable people? Go look at Jesus. And the Bible tells us the first step to coming to know God is believing that when he went to the cross, what Jesus was doing, he became my sin. God promised sin costs death. 
Someone had to die for your sins. Jesus said, I'll do that. And he took enough punishment for every sin that's ever been sinned. And he said, whoever, and then his best friend John said, whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's how we come into a relationship with God. But listen, just because you know someday that you're going to go to heaven when you die does not mean you're going to have an unshakable life with no fear and no anxiety and feel whole and full and content. In fact, I don't think that's true about most Christians. I think most of us are shot through with those things. Because I think most Christians tend to live with their eternal life in the back of their mind. That's someday when I need it. Sort of like, I'll, I'll go talk to David Binge if I have a problem with my car. Instead of doing life with him. And we spend, most of us, and I am just as guilty of this as you, we spend most of our lives, we're all chasing the same thing. Do you know that? We all have the same desire in our hearts. You have a desire to feel adequate, like you measure up. You have a desire to feel loved. You have a desire to feel significant. You have a desire to be content and feel full and feel whole. That's, that is the desire we all have. The problem is we just ask other things to do that for us. And the reason, the reason David said, seeking the Lord and doing life with the Lord is what makes me fearless, the reason he came to that conclusion is this. He had set his heart on something that is not vulnerable. It can't be taken away. And when you and I, we put our hearts on other things. I want to be, I want to feel significant. So graduates, you want to be significant in your life. So you pick a career and you ask, if I can just get to that career, people will think I'm something. And if people think I'm something, then I'll think I'm something. But you'll have all this anxiety. What if I don't get there? What if I don't pass enough classes? What if I don't get that job? What if somebody else gets that job? Or you get that job, and guess what? It doesn't deliver. It doesn't make you feel like you thought it would make you feel because you've put your hope on something vulnerable that really can be taken away. Maybe you will try money. If I had enough money and I have enough stuff, people will think I'm awesome, and then I'll think I'm awesome. But you'll have all this anxiety and this fear that it won't be enough or you can't get to the level you want to be or it doesn't deliver. Or you'll try the, the affection of another person. Maybe, maybe if the right person is interested in me. If the right romantic relationship comes along, I'll feel desirable. I'll feel loved. I'll feel secure in that. But here's what happens. Maybe they won't. Maybe he won't love me. Maybe she won't think I'm cool. And so what I do is I present this, this, this picture of myself that's not even really me. And then I live with this anxiety inside that says, if they ever figure out who I really am, they'll go away. And I have all this anxiety. Or 
maybe I just crush the other person under the expectations of what I'm trying to get out of them. Just try this. Make this your new pickup line. If you're prone, if you're someone who is prone to want, wanting to feel your, the way your heart wants to feel, the way all our heart wants to feel, and you want a romantic relationship to do that for you, just try this. The next time you're, like, you're on a first date, just look across the table at that person and say, listen, all I'm asking, all I'm looking for in a relationship is for you to make me feel the way God made David feel in Psalm 27. Like, make that your new pickup line. See how that goes. But at least you'll be being honest. All I'm asking is for you to make me feel whole, content, unafraid. The truth is, no matter what you put in that place, no matter what in this world you ask to make you feel the way we all want to feel, If it is not the God of the universe, it is vulnerable and you might lose it and your heart knows that and that's where the anxiety comes from. Because this could be gone tomorrow and I know it. Verses five and six, David tells us how putting God, making God his number one thing. What that does for David. Basically says, God conceals me, he hides me, and he lifts me up on a rock, which doesn't sound all that great. But again, this is a poem. Here's what David means. Once I got my heart right, once I put my, my, my desires, my yearnings, on a close and unbroken relationship with God, it was like the world couldn't get at me anymore. It was like there was this place in my heart that was hidden away from my enemies and the world and the damage that's out there. It just can't get there because that thing he put his hopes on can't be broken. It can't be taken. He didn't, God didn't literally hide David from danger. He hides his heart. I like this one because I'm a history guy. It says he puts me up high on a rock. You know what David's talking about? David was a warrior. Guess where the best place to be in battle was? On the high, rocky ground. You know how many battles in the history of the world have been won because one side had the high, rocky ground? Like most of them. David said, when I've got my desire focused on the Lord, it's like I'm always fighting on the high ground. Because that's where I'm invincible and immortal, and undefeatable. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to go verse by verse through the rest of this psalm. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. If I did, I I think I could keep you from getting the wrong idea about what I'm preaching at you this morning. It's easy to think that Christianity works like this. I believe in the Lord Jesus for my salvation. And then I try really hard to be really good. And if I'm good enough, God will keep bad things from happening to me. And that is simply not what David writes in this psalm. He doesn't have courage because of a lack of scary things. 
In verse 7, the, the mood of this poem changes. And David lists throughout there a whole bunch of scary stuff. He talks about things that are physically dangerous. He's in life-threatening situations. He talks about, see if these ring any bells. He talks about false witnesses. In other words, people who are lying about him to change other people's opinion about him. Um, He talks about loneliness, abandonment. Poetically, he says, even if my father and mother abandon me, which is like a key, a a base loneliness, abandonment issue. And then my favorite one is in verse 11, where your Bible says there's people who want to ambush me or my enemies or my foes or my oppressors. The Hebrew word shurarai, what it means is simply the watchers. And you have experienced the watchers. The watchers who watch me. Here's what the watchers are. David says, I've got all these people who are constantly watching me, waiting for me to mess up. So they can point at me and say, see, you're not so awesome, David. You're not perfect. Hey, everybody, listen to what David did. You have felt like you're watched by the watchers. And David was too. David's still got all of these things going on in his life. And by the end of the psalm, it's like he remembers, and, he, and he's, you can tell by reading it, he's scared. He got, I've got all this danger and these accusers and these liars and I'm anxious and oh God, where are you? It feels like you've abandoned me. I've got all this anxiety and I'm believing as much as I can believe. And by the end of the psalm, he's like, oh yeah. I would have despaired in all those times until I remembered my one thing. Until I reset my heart on the thing I can't lose. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He is going to right every wrong and I cannot lose what I have in him. David's courage doesn't change with his circumstances. That's the hard part to like understand. Because here's what you and I tend to believe. God, I'm really anxious about my finances. I'm not sure we're going to balance this month. If you wanted me to be brave and courageous and not have anxiety, you would give me more money and I wouldn't be anxious. God, I'm lonely. Um, I want a, you know, I want a spouse. I want a boyfriend. I want a girlfriend. Not me, honey. This is just an example like somebody else. Okay. Sorry. Um, God, I, wanna, I, I want to be with somebody. If you wanted me to not be anxious about this, you would give me what I feel like I need. God, I want to be successful. God, I want to have a job. You know I'm anxious because of whatever. And because you can fix this. If you wanted this anxiety to be gone, you would fix the circumstance. But God says, child... I am never, I do not want to give you less than me. I want you to put your one thing on me until you understand you, you, all, you will have your heart's desire because I have given you myself. 
God proved at the cross he would stop at nothing to give you your heart's desire because your heart's desire is to be content and to be loved and to be significant. Listen, the God of the universe died because he wanted you to live with him. How much more could you be loved than that? How much more could you be desired than that? And God wants to do life with you every single day. I've got to wrap this up, but I, I love this. I want to tell you two more things. Here's the first one. In verse 12, David says, God, here's his prayer. Do not turn me over to the desires of my enemies. That is carefully worded. On one hand, that can mean don't let those people do to me what they want to do to me. But I think it also means this. God, make sure my desires aren't like their desires. Because the secret to having this unshakable life without fear is having your heart set on a desire you can't lose. And, and nobody else, people don't operate like this. You know why David had these watchers watching him and the false accusers looking at him? Because in their hearts, they thought, if I was better than him, if I could knock him down a peg and put me up a peg, that's when I would feel content. And you understand this. I've got to beat her. I've got to be above him. I've got to have more than them. That's when I would feel and David says by the end of the song, oh Lord, don't, don't turn me over to the desires of people who don't know you. I'm going to go back to that last verse. Now by way of conclusion, I guess, I just want to give you a personal example of how this can work. And I hesitate to use like, myself as the positive example, but... Here it goes. Uh, I've heard a lot over the last probably month, a lot of conversations that went like this. How you guys doing with graduation coming? Have you sedated Rachel yet? I think the expectation is that we should be a collective basket case because our, our oldest... Is, uh, is leaving. I want you to know we are not having a nervous breakdown because Ike is leaving the house. Now, don't misunderstand. Does that mean we're not sad? <laughs> no. Does that mean there haven't been times where we get a little nostalgic, gets a little misty? Does it mean I won't miss him? No. Does it mean... Uh, you know, when, when the kids come upstairs and he doesn't come up for breakfast, I won't miss that. Just to, I mean, he doesn't eat anything, but he hangs out with us at least. That we won't have a game on, and I wish that my boy was there with me watching. Yeah, I will miss that. I will, that will hurt, but let me tell you something. I'm, I'm not crushed, and here's why. We have tried really hard not to make our kids our number one thing. We haven't asked our children to make us feel significant or successful or anything else. I don't want to put that weight on them. And we know what I want for, for Ike 
and Adelaide and Cedric and all the other graduates today and all of you, more than I want them to stay with me and make, use them to make me feel wanted, needed, complete, what I want them is to put their, their fix their hearts on their number one thing. On the real number one thing. And it ain't me. And it ain't mama. Because that's when you can have an impact for the Lord on the world. When you live for the number one thing that you cannot lose. I do not know where the Lord will take my children, but it will be he that takes them there. He will be their protector. He will hide them and set them on a high rock and make them confident and brave and not anxious and not afraid if their hearts are set on the right one thing. And for every one of us here, the next situation is coming where God decides in his sovereignty that it is okay for you to lose something at this time. It might be when one of your babies grows up and graduates. It might be the death of a loved one. It might be financial troubles. It might be fill in the blank. But the cure for for living a life that's not shot through with fear and anxiety of that next thing is making sure your heart's desire is on what you cannot lose and what is not vulnerable. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, the words of David. Thank you for Thank you for just telling us there is such a life where even in scary, painful situations that hurt, that we can say, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? God, don't turn our hearts over to the desires of people who don't know you. Help us to have as our one thing the thing we ask from you, the thing we seek from you, that we can have an unbroken, close relationship with you through faith in the Lord Jesus. We may live with you and see you and walk with you and set our heart's desire on what cannot be taken from us. May we draw our confidence. From you, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We will, uh, as we share communion this morning, they will, uh, musicians will pray or play through the the bread part. Usually sing during the, the cup if you want to. If you want to just hang out and talk to the Lord, you may. Let me tell you what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating we're communing with God, we're celebrating our ability to commune with God, to be close to him like we live with him in in a house, to be close to him like we actually see his face with our eyes, that we can inquire of him and do life with him and meditate on him and talk to him. 
what we celebrate is the terribly high price that was paid that allowed sinners like you and me to commune with a perfect and holy righteous God. He gave us the desires of our hearts. But it wasn't free. He had to pay for it. And he paid by giving his son and for dying on a cross. So as, uh, as the elders come up to help me pass out the, the communion, the bread, I'll just pray for the bread real fast. Lord Jesus, we remember right now what you did to pay the penalty our sins deserved. This was the wages of our sin that you bore in your body. And so God, in a few quiet moments, I just pray that you would help us as we hold the symbol of your broken body to reset our hearts on the desire that cannot be ripped from them. Commune with us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Jesus was betrayed as he as he sat around, he reclined at a table with men who would soon run out on him, deny he deny they knew him. He picked up a whole piece of bread and he broke it in little pieces and he gave some to each of his friends. He said, This is my body broken for you. And the reason he did that is because he knew the desires of their hearts. They knew that his father, an unbroken relationship with God is the only thing that would give them the desires of their hearts and he wanted them to have it. And he knew his, his body and his blood were the price that was required to, to restore relationship. And what he asked of us is try really hard to be good and don't ever mess up again. Oh, no, that's right. What he said was, every time you do this, as often as you do this, just remember me. Do this in remembrance of him. Father, as we commemorate the cup, it is the symbol on one hand of your wrath but it was wrath poured out on your son rather than on us. And God, by by taking this and putting it in our bodies, we, we symbolize that you are our one thing that we depend upon for our forgiveness and our salvation and our heart's desire. So bless us in our time with the cup. saying all I have needed your hand has provided does your heart believe that he gave you his son he gave you himself and if you can't sing all I have needed my hand his hand has provided then maybe you have your hope fixed 
on something vulnerable. Because the blood that is symbolized in this cup is all you will need if your faith is in it. Forever and ever and ever. Do this in remembrance of him.